welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Good to have you. It is hump day. It's all-star day. There's other things happening. We'll get into all of that here. On Soccer Morning on a Wednesday, we've got Mr. Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup himself, lined up to talk about the firing of a certain head coach coming up in a couple of minutes. That'll be a good discussion with Tom trying to get all the background, trying to get the timeline down because that is the A number one lead story this morning. Miguel Herrera, El Piojo, fired as Mexico national team head coach yesterday at a press conference in Mexico City. New FMF president, Decio De Maria, made the announcement, said that uh, Herrera had not lived up to uh, the standards of the Mexican national team. Nobody can be above a situation like the one that happened Monday in Philadelphia, said De Maria. Our values, our principles are above any result. In our profession, our industry, the matches are never over. And as public figures who represent an institution, we, uh, we must be absolutely clear on that. In a statement, Herrera apologized to his players, his staff, the fans, the federation, and the media for his, <clears throat> excuse me, for his conduct in, quote, the painful incident I had with a commentator. It is clear to me that this is not the attitude that a coach for the Mexican national team should take, despite having received all manners of criticism, offenses, and mockery of my family and my person. It read. So essentially a bit of a non-apology apology. Hey, that guy just started it. Uh, but he is gone. Miguel Herrera ousted as Mexican national team uh, head coach and no replacement named. That was not part of the announcement yesterday. We will talk to Tom about who could con conceivably step into Herrera's shoes. And remember, everything pointed to that October 9th showdown with the United States with the Confederations Cup bid from CONCACAF on the line. In games that don't matter, MLS All-Stars taking, taking on Tottenham Hotspur tonight at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado. Game kicks off at 9 o'clock Eastern. He had a rash of players Pulling out of the All-Star squad, Michael Bradley, Robbie Keane, Steven Gerrard, all out. Replacements named by Pablo Mastorani, Sam Cronin, his own Sam Cronin from the Colorado Rapids, Waylon Francis and Ethan Finley of the of Crew SC, and Giassi Zardes and Janino of the Los Angeles Galaxy. Now you have a situation where both of the big-name stars Picked by Don Garber with his commissioner picks, Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard are not available and will not play in this match. So much for that. Uh, the game, again, doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, it's a fun game, I guess. It's an opportunity to see some of the, uh, some of the uh, MLS stars get together and try to play as a team after having never done so against a team that has played as a team, as a team many, many times before. Michelle Platini has officially announced his candidacy for FIFA president, he did that yesterday. I believe that announcement came after the show. He said he weighed up the future of football alongside his own future. Platini is 60 years old. He said there are times in life when you have to take your destiny into your own hands. I am at one of those decisive moments at a juncture in my life and in, event, in events that are shaping the future of FIFA. During this last half century or so, FIFA has had, had only two presidents. This extreme stability is something of a paradox in a world that has experienced rad radical upheavals and in a sport that has un undergone considerable economic change. However, recent events forced the supreme governing body of world football to turn over a new leaf and rethink its governance. Apparently, he thinks that he is the one to turn that new leaf over. Now, he is the uh, betting favorite, and uh, reports are that he has the backing of four of the six confederations in FIFA, which basically means he's a shoe-in. He said, as a president of UEFA, I've brought Europe together on a unifying path. I gave all the national associations, big and small, the place they deserve. Now I aspire to do the same at the world level, to offer all national associations a common cause. And uh, immediately following the announcement by uh, Michel Platini that he would be entering this race, Prince Ali, uh, Prince Ali formerly a candidate, the man who ran against Sepp Blatter and lost, uh, came out in the uh, press and ripped Michelle Platini uh, as part of the deal-making culture that exists at FIFA. 
let's move on. Jose Mourinho in the news, because why wouldn't he be in the preseason for the English Premier League? Jose Mourinho shooting back at Rafael Benitez's wife. Benitez's wife told a Spanish newspaper that Real Madrid are the third of Jose Mourinho's old teams that Rafa has had to tidy up. We tidy up his messes. If you think about it, of course you end up crossing paths. There are only a few world-class clubs out there. Mourinho's response, the lady is a bit confused. Her husband went to Chelsea to replace Roberto Di Matteo, and he went to Real Madrid and replaced Carlo Ancelotti. The only club where her husband replaced me was at Inter Milan, where in six months he destroyed the best team in Europe at the time. Ouch, Jose. Why don't you pull some punches? A little tough on Rafa, don't you think? Tonight, also at 9 o'clock Eastern time, so you may have to make a choice if you're able to pull a stream, find this game somewhere. I imagine it's going to be on television in the U.S. Some, uh, in some way, or shape, or form. We'll have to find that. Tigres hosting River Plate in the first leg of the Copa Libertadores final. Uh, Tigres looking to become the first Mexican club to lift that trophy. Meanwhile, River Plate looking to break a 19-year drought uh, of cha- of South American championships. Remember, River Plate, a team that not too long ago was relegated in Argentina, fought their way back, and is now in the finals of the biggest club competition in South America. A group of House Democrats have submitted a letter to FIFA asking for equal pay. House Democrats are calling on FIFA to eliminate the disparities between men's and women's soccer in pay, publicity, and investments. Representatives Jackie Spire, Linda Sanchez, and 26 of their Democratic colleagues sent a letter to FIFA President Sepp Blatter on Monday asking the International Soccer Association to make good on its mission to, quote, develop football everywhere and for all. The letter asked FIFA to equalize pay between men and women's players, review current policies and commercial arrangements to ensure they reflect a modern understanding of the sport's popularity, increase global investment in women's soccer, and provide equal facilities for male and female players. A quoted section, the three-time world championship winning Team USA received $2 million in prize money, just one-fourth of the $8 million that a men's team receives for losing in the first elimination round of the Men's World Cup. And the total payout for the Women's World Cup this year is 40 times less at $15 million than the 2014 Men's World Cup award of $576 million. Quote, there is ample evidence that FIFA has underinvested in women's sports out of motives ranging from apathy to discrimination. The letter quoted uh, comments made by Seb Blatter in 2004, the famous ones. You suggested that the way to improve women's soccer was to, quote, let the women play in more feminine clothes like they do in volleyball. They could, for, ha- they could, for example, have tighter shorts. Female players are pretty, if you excuse me for saying so. The response from this group Women's sports aren't a sideshow for FIFA, and FIFA should do its utmost to ensure it doesn't treat them like one. So uh, congressional action on the equal pay issue. Let's take a break. When we come back, Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup. What exactly happened to Biojo? Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning. We got Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on the line. We have a limited window. He is a very popular man. Everybody wants to talk about Miguel Herrera getting fired as Mexican <laughs> national team head coach. Uh, Tom, I'm talking quickly because I, I do want to get to all of this. Uh, first and foremost, uh, is this ultimately a surprise? And do you, uh, are, are you, uh, is, is there a little too much being put into this or, or does this merit a firing, this incident in Philadelphia? I don't think he can. Miguel Herrera can complain one bit. I mean, you can't, you can't be going around punching people in in airports when, when your job's the Mexican national team manager. It's a high-profile job, not just in the soccer world, but for the whole country. And it's a it's a bad example. And and when especially in a country like Mexico, that at the minute, you know, it's had some negative press. Obviously, the violence and stuff. It's like you can't be doing that. And and I think the FMS did the right thing. I mean, I didn't think they would, but in the end. They've, they've made the decision, and, and I think it's the right one. I don't think Miguel Herrera, sad as it is for him personally, 
Um, I don't think he can complain at all. Um, you know, there was no smoking gun here. I saw the video uh, that Univision had. It was not nearly enough to, to, to say that something certainly happened. But there, I guess there were witnesses there who say this punch definitely happened, and there's no doubt about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think once, you know, the journalist came out and he's a, you know, very respected and, you know, very much he's a known figure in Mexico. And then another journalist came out and said the same thing. And all the players were there, the head of the press were there. So it, it happened, you know, it, yeah. it happened. And, 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 and it fits in perfectly with Miguel Herrera's personality. I mean, he didn't go to the, to the World Cup in 94 because, because of incidents uh, on and off the field to do with his, you know, fiery personality and inability to kind of um, rein him, himself in and, and not not be aggressive and not not just flip. I mean, it's sad in a way because it's just a personality flaw that you know I don't think Miguel Herrera is going to get a job anywhere near the level of a Mexico national team manager again. And I think from his personal point of view, it was it was sad because he's, he's been great. I mean, for the media, for everybody, is he, he has been you know really good. Now, I read, um, you know, obviously this is a, this is a translated um, statement, but it says, it's clear, clear to me that this is not the attitude that a coach for the New Mexican national team should take, despite having received all manners of criticism, offenses, and mockery of my family and my person. So he's apologizing, but not really apologizing. Yeah, yeah and he said he's, he's going to take a little break, and then he's going to come back and be the same. Which, <laughs> I, I mean... Well, but, but, but we know, Tom, that this that's part of what makes him who he is as a coach and it's part of what revived Mexico during a, a very a very poor stretch that nearly saw them eliminated from World Cup contention during qualifying the last time around if he wasn't who he was then maybe that doesn't happen so I guess you take the good with the bad yeah I mean I don't I mean it's, it's a it's a difficult one I mean he uh I mean I mean I don't know I don't want to dig too deep here but I mean I think the, the wider point is Everybody knew he was like this, you know. Is he almost had a fight with uh, Jorge Luis Pinto in before the Gold Cup in a game? He almost had a fight with Bolillo Gomez in a game last October, November, and in a friendly. Um, he, he's called this same journalist, you know, names before and and said that he's gonna gonna go look for him. I mean, everybody knew what Miguel Herrera was like before he got hired, so it's it's like. The Federation at some point has got to sit down and think, right, let's get a manager, let's get a coaching that we actually really believe in and we're going to give time and, and who's not going to be doing these kind of things because it, it was there to me, like I said earlier, you know, he missed the World Cup because of it and, and he's not, all the way through his coaching career, he's been filled with, with incidents and I don't know, at some point they're going to have to pick somebody who they absolutely 100% believe in and, and they're going to give, you know, for eight years, a real, but, but, a real run, but, but run, stop, run, but stop. This is Mexico, and we know how this goes. <laughs> and uh, you know, after Miguel Herrera was fired, the stat was thrown out that since 1999, Mexico's had 14 different head coaches, and the United States has had three. And I don't—that's just a juxtaposition that that makes it stark how many Mexico has gone through. But the point remains that they go through coaches, um, you know, uh, like tissue paper and. Is is there even a candidate? I mean, you have to suddenly fire Herrera because of this incident. He wasn't going anywhere otherwise, despite a poor, you know, performance overall in the Gold Cup by Mexican standards, and that was referenced in the in the press conference yesterday. Um, but where do they go? I mean, you don't have time to sit around and, and look. Is there going to be an interim coach? They don't want to do that, says De Maria. No, yes. The, uh, the, the I mean, I think that the main point is that there is no outstanding candidate. Uh, there's nobody you can say that's the guy that's that's the guy to take us forward. I mean, you know, you've got names that are being thrown out there. You've got, um, you know, Bielsa, Marcelo Bielsa, which, which, the, which is just setting yourself up for another another not not a disaster. I'm not saying Bielsa will hit somebody, but he's not he's going to flame out at some point. That's what Marcelo Bielsa does. He flames out. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think that's the dream. Bielsa is the dream, but you know, and then but what all Bielsa would entail. In terms of the changes in the in the federation, right? Um, the way that things are run, Bielsa is never going to accept the Mexican national team job. He's already criticised Mexican football severely last time he was in Mexico, back in 2010. He, he just went absolutely off on a, on a crazy rant about how how the owners don't respect the players, and if if the owners don't respect the players, then how they're going to respect him and the way he works. 
I mean, he really did go off. So, but I mean, the wider point is that other other candidates might, for that same reason, and and, and lesser names than Bielsa. I'm talking Pedro Caixinha mm-hmm. from Santos Laguna or Tigres de Tucaferete, who's been around a long time. You know, San Paulo, would he accept? Would he leave Chile the, the way he's going now? Because they, these are names that have been bandied around, well, by the well, way. And that's what's up? Okay, well, let me come to let me come to okay, Bielsa, uh, San Paulo, um, uh, Caixinha. Foreigners, is that where Mexico is Mexico going to go again and, and and take an attempt to bring in a foreign coach? Because that's not usually how Mexican soccer works. Yeah, honestly, don't think there are any outstanding Mexican candidates apart from one really obvious one. But lo and behold, you go back a little bit and they treated him with such disrespect that I just can't imagine him coming back. Which is Victor Manuel Fusitic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is the ideal candidate. Serious, won titles. You know, done well pretty much everywhere he's gone. He is he is the Mexican national team boss, but but they gave him one game back in, or was it two games back in the end of 2013, and then said that's it. I mean, how can you treat somebody who's been who's done so much in the domestic game with such disdain? I mean, it's really, I mean that 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 was one of the worst decisions I've I've, I've seen really. I mean, considering the trajectory of of Vucic's career and what he means to Mexican football and and now look you know now he's the perfect candidate and he's just not going to accept it how could he accept it it'd be it'd be such a massive he'd have to swallow his pride he'd have to uh, I don't think he's going to do it but he is the he is the guy really all right uh, in two minutes here very quickly first the the player response we saw some tweets backing Herrera clearly the pair, the players you know that the, the, it's a family they're they're backing up their coach is this going to is this going to risk alienating them a bit whether they understand the decision or not yeah definitely i mean we saw Giovanni dos Santos Jonathan dos Santos i mean some really ridiculous tweets that that seem to kind of back not just Miguel Herrera but Miguel Herrera punching the journalist which, you know, it's just really, like the Di Maria said yesterday, really shows a lack of intelligence there. They weren't very bright mm. in doing that. So, yeah, the, but it is, it is a worry. Um, again, the wider thing is that how much power do these players have? I mean, it seemed like under Herrera, they really liked it because they were given the power, they were given freedom to do what they want, and and that, that contrasts sharply with uh, Chepo de la Torre. So I think, you know, there's that there, but, I mean... They're not going to be happy, in it. and I think that's going to be one of the the most fascinating things to look out for now. How how are the big players, I and mean, especially Andres Guardado, who who was brilliant in the World Cup, probably the only Mexican player you could say that that about. He's the captain. He's um, he's got a lot of influence, and he loved Herrera. Chicharito back to Herrera. Big players are back to Herrera, and now if someone comes in that I don't know, if, if someone like Caixinha comes in or Tuca Ferretti, these guys. Do have they get, they get strong personalities and and they don't get on with everybody. So, but I mean, the coaches have to get on with managers. Should they be friends? They don't. I mean, they don't really don't have to be, do they? Uh, and last thing here, Miguel Herrera, uh, his immediate future. Where do you expect him to end up? <laughs> this is this is quite funny actually because uh, we've got Nacho Ambriz, who's who's at club, who's just gone to Club America before this season, and I mean, he just started off with a loss to Puebla. And Miguel Herrera obviously won the title back with the with America, and he's a big hero there with the fans. So, I mean, <laughs> if in four or five weeks America's not doing too well, then I don't think it's too long before Miguel Herrera goes back to Club America. Very interesting. Um, Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter. He's a very busy guy. He's got other stuff to uh, do, other shows to appear on. Tom, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Let's take a break. When we come back, we can open up the phone lines, hit on some of these other stories, go a little more in-depth. Lots of time for you here on a Wednesday. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. The phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. 
So I'm so ADD that in the breaks, I you know I click on stuff on Twitter. I'm all over the place. Trevor has to get my attention to come back. It's a whole thing. It's like it's like a whole production, and I'm clicking on stuff, and somebody in my timeline shares a story about this Vine star, which I I barely have a concept of what that means. This 20 year old kid who can charge $120,000 for a sponsored Vine. How long is that? Like six seconds? He makes a six-second video and charges $120,000 for it. I'm in the wrong business. Why are we doing this, Trevor? Where's my, why are we not vining right now? Could we vine? Like, could we, like, vine soccer talk? I mean, I'm good at soccer talk. I'm probably not good at what he does. He's, like, 20 years old. He's, like, fake jumping over cars and saving cats in the road and stuff. That's not who I am, but I can talk about, can we figure out a way to, <laughs> I mean, come on, what kind of world is this? Let's go to Al in Missouri. What's up, Al? Hey, what's going on? Talking soccer, Al. I was, okay, <laughs> well, I wasn't, oh um, no, you think Miguel Ruel would be a good candidate for the new um, L.A. The LAFC, um, that wow, that's Fire? that's not a bad. Well, Chicago Fire is definitely out there. Um, and the reason that the Fire are out there is because the Fire aren't a very good team right now, or at least they're not they're not succeeding under Frank Gallup. And Frank Gallup's a retread. And and as much as I respect what Frank Gallup has accomplished in MLS and American soccer and Canadian soccer for that matter, um, you know, if you want to freshen things up a bit, maybe you bring in a guy like I mean, there's no better way to make a splash in the city of Chicago. If you're Andrew Hopman, then bringing in a guy like Miguel Herrera outside of the big signing, which you keep missing on. You can't get Jermaine Jones. You lose your blind draw. You can't get Didier Drogba. He'd rather go speak French in Montreal. Sign up Miguel Herrera and get him on the sidelines. His fiery personality, and he, he suddenly they become a hit with that Mexican-American community. I don't know that he sells tickets necessarily, but at least you, you get some eyeballs. Oh. As for LAFC, Al, that's a, good, that's a good call, but the timing is just weird because he's going to get a job. He's going to get a job somewhere. Like like Tom said, he'll probably end up at Club America again. Oh, yeah. I, I do see him at Club America, but I just, I'm just saying he'd be perfect for the Chicago Fire. Yeah. I mean, they need a clean house. Frank Gallup, he out is a good coach, but he's, he can't get it done in um, Chicago. You know, it's one of those things that, where that it, it feels like, uh, sorry, Al, it feels like the league has passed Frank Gallup by, doesn't it? Yes, they really have. Well, guys like Bruce Arena keep up, and, and Siggy Schmidt obviously is a good coach with a ton of talent. For whatever reason, Frank Gallup can't recapture what made him a good MLS coach a decade ago. I mean, look, he, he was in charge of that San Jose Earthquakes team that scored a ton of goals and won a supporter shield, what was that, three, four, yeah. five years ago. It's not that long ago, but it still feels mm-hmm. like this thing is moving a little too quickly. And, and let's be fair to, to Gallup. It's not like he's gotten a ton of support from his ownership group. True. You got anything yeah. else, Al? All right. That's no? about it. All right, man. Appreciate the phone call. Alan, Missouri, stepping up. Right. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Just to review some of the stuff I hit on this morning at the top of the show in the news segment. We, we talked MLS All-Star Game, obviously. Tottenham Hotspur in the country, taking on the uh, MLS All-Stars at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce, beautiful Commerce City, Colorado. I've been by that stadium. There ain't much there. This is not, uh, this is not Sporting Park, which for anybody who knows the geography of sporting, where Sporting Park is in relation to the city of Kansas City, it's not, I mean, it's in Kansas City, but it's like in Kansas and it's not really in, it's just not near the downtown area. I mean, it's not like a 15 minute drive or something. Uh, lots of MLS teams, obviously, in this situation. You have uh, Bridgeview for the Fire. You have Chester for the for the Union. You have Frisco for FC Dallas. It works for Sporting, and they have that stadium in part of what is a much larger built-up area. There's a the Kansas Motor Speedway, International Motor Speedway, whatever that's called, is right there. There's a gigantic shopping center and all of this very uh, outdoor. You know that the 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 what do they call that? The town center style stuff lots of that happening i think i mean if i remember correctly it was very cold my brain wasn't working very well uh in the meantime what's happening in commerce city is 
no longer is, is not on that level. And I think there's been some question over the construction around the stadium and some of the promises that were made by Stan Kroenke and his and his people. But the All Star Game is still there. Uh, and it's an opportunity to show off the league. Hopefully they get a full house. I imagine there will be a full house tonight. I imagine there'll be lots of Spurs fans. I imagine that uh Harry Kane will have quite a few fans in the crowd. I imagine DeAndre Yedlin will get uh, some attention if he manages to get on the field. By the way, DeAndre Yedlin, not clear on what his immediate future might be. He does not have a loan lined up yet, and it's difficult to imagine him getting a ton of playing time for Pochettino under Spurs, uh, at Spurs. And right now, he's a player that absolutely needs to be on the field. I'm still not sure what we're what we're going to get out of DeAndre Yedlin in the future for the national team. Is he a winger? Is he a fullback? What happens at Spurs, and does that have any bearing on what happens with the national team? If it's Jurgen Klinsmann in charge, probably not, because it doesn't matter where you play with your club team for Jurgen Klinsmann. He'll just slot you in wherever he thinks you might be. Uh, you might be effective, even if you're not effective. He'll keep playing you there. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. The All-Star Game for me is a ho-hum, it's on, I'll watch it kind of thing. But, again, you have a choice to make tonight if you're interested in Copa Libertadores at all. Because the first leg of the final happens tonight. Tigres and River Plate. The Mexican team has a chance to bring a trophy to Mexico that's never been there before. Remember a couple years ago, how long ago was it, Trevor, that, that Guadalajara was in the final? Before they were flirting with relegation. It's been a while. But Chivas de Guadalajara lost in a final not that long ago. And now Tigres has an opportunity to do the same thing. I mean, to win a try, uh, to win that, that trophy. Bill in New York, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. I had a question about uh, the whole thing that happened with Mexico. This was Panama where they delayed the game 12 minutes, right? Yeah. Did they, any uh, penalty or any fines or anything come down against the Mexican Federation for that? Not as far as I know, not yet. CONCACAF made that, that show of, oh, we're going to check it out and review the tape, but I haven't heard of any any punishment to this point, no. Because something like that, if it happens anywhere else, that's a huge deal. And now, whatever country, Italy, England, if something like that ever happened where they had to stop the game for 12, 15 minutes, they're going to get fined. They'll get a huge fine or something like that. And I almost think with this game coming up on October 9th, part of the penalty should be play this game in Sporting Park. And whatever money we lose because we have to play at a small stadium comes from the Mexico Federation. <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, hell, how could I not like that? But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it, it, hey, there needs to be some sort of, I mean, look, the Panamanians are out of control, too. I mean, everybody was out of control during that game, Bill. It wasn't just the Mexicans. It wasn't just the Panamanians. It was obviously the fans who were throwing stuff on the field. That whole scene was a disaster, and, and it seems to me that the CONCACAF approach is that the news cycle moves quickly and everybody's forgotten about it already, so let's just pretend it didn't happen. Because I know, like, you were talking with Jared about this with the, the game out in California on October 9th, how he doesn't want to go to that game. That's how I felt when they played at Giant Stadium. I forget what game it was. They lost 5 nothing to Mexico, 5-1. Yeah, that and was... It was scary. 2009. And being an American fan in the United States and I feel like I had to run out of that stadium when it was over. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I think penalties have to start coming against Mexico because they feel like they can do anything they want in the United States. Yeah, then there's some. And I think there's they have some, an opportunity. It's they a, have an opportunity here, and they can make a big stand with this game on October 9th. I'm not. I'm not saying that we know the fans will come out. Yeah, I'm not saying right. that Concacaf shouldn't take some steps. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some punishment. I think you get into some very murky territory here. The the variables at play make it difficult, and I don't want to. Again, I don't want to paint the Mexico fans with a broad brush, and I don't want to assume all of them are the type to throw stuff at opposing fans. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, again, we're talking about this happening on American soil with Mexican fans. How do you justify punishing Mexico when they have no control over? I mean, I don't know. It's not a home game for Mexico. It's not like it's security. Uh, a security lapse on the part of the Mexican Federation. Uh, why are you? Why are you punishing Mexico? Well, it's their fans, and I think if their fans realize, listen, we got to stop acting like this, or we're not going to get games in California. 
every time we play Mexico, it's going to be in Sporting Park. It's going to be in Columbus. And we're never going to see Mexico again. So if we, if we got to change, we got to do something. Because it's just they, they have free reign at these games. Yeah. And they know there's no punishment coming. Well, okay, fine. They, you, no, they not even talk about it. You, you want to know what needs to happen? And, and look, I know, Bill, we want people to take, we want the people in charge to take care of this, to handle the, the, the punishment, to, uh, to, to fix the problem. But what really needs to happen for this tide to turn is for American fans to step up, say, screw it. I don't care if we're going to be outnumbered. Go in big numbers, not just 10,000 people out of an 80,000-seat stadium. Show up, you know, buy the tickets. Make it an American home game when they play Mexico. I mean, I know it's tough. Panama can't do that. I understand. Panama is at a disadvantage when they play Mexico and Atlanta. They're always going to have a very pro-Mexican crowd there, and maybe that's not the point. But I think from an American perspective, from a U.S. national team perspective, it's just got to stop, and we've got to be a coordinated effort to say, we're not going to allow the Mexican-Americans, the Mexico fans, to show up and steal home field advantage from our team. That's where it is. Like, enough already. Just go. But that's easy to do, having a sporting park. Uh, well, I mean at the big venues. I'm talking about in Phoenix. I, I'm talking about in Dallas. I'm talking about the Rose Bowl. Why, why, where is... Yeah. Look, I love the American Outlaws for a lot of the things that they do. They've worked through some problems in the last calendar year. I think they're really trying... I think they do great work bringing people together. Bring people together. Start the campaign now. Buy up all the tickets. Buy them all up. Make sure that there's not going to be a Mexico majority at the Rose Bowl on October 9th. Figure out a way to do it. If you need to sign up a corporate sponsor to buy blocks, I don't care. Do it. Bill, what's going on? What's what's happening in the background there? Bill? I'm going to let you go, Bill. Thank you, Bill. There you go. Let's uh let's check in with Rob in Virginia. It says ESPN FC article. Are you calling about one of mine, Rob? Uh yeah, actually I was uh calling about the one that you posted yesterday. Uh just to piggyback on the last car, I thought that was great. Uh we do need to buy more tickets and uh if we could model uh how we handled the uh uh, Mexico, U.S. friendly, or the, not friendly, uh, excuse me, the World Cup qualifier that we had in Columbus every four years, that would be great. I mean, that was almost 100% American crowd, and yeah. that was awesome. And it was a great atmosphere, yeah, but that's the thing, and I but didn't it, see any fights or anything. But, Rob, so, but, that's, but that's Bill's point. In order to get to that, in order to have the pro-USA crowd, we have to manipulate the situation. We have to put it in a place like Columbus, which... A, does not have a large Mexican population of its own, a Mexican-American population. B, is, is a little bit more difficult to get to than some of the bigger cities around the country. No offense, Columbus. Uh, C, is a, a limited-size venue of 23,000 or whatever that is. I mean, the point is that at some, at some moment in time, we have to take it upon ourselves. We've had all this momentum. The U.S. men's national team is popular enough to fill up a stadium on its own. Just shut up and buy the tickets. Just shut up and buy the. I mean, I know hey, it's 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 I'm it's, with you. it's scary. <laughs> There's all these Mexican fans, and they have a propensity to throw stuff at me, and they yell bad things at my kids. Shut up and go. Uh, Trevor's got a hashtag for it. Own the bowl. Uh, I guess we can own hey. the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> That yeah. works. Right, but uh, uh, going to your uh, your article, I just want to congratulate you for uh, picking a better MLS All Star team than uh, the BBC. I don't know if you saw that on I Twitter did. yesterday, but it was it was kind of uh, hilarious. Uh, you know, I had Gerard at, at center back, and and uh, you know, it, it was just you know had people that haven't even suited up yet for the team on on the field, and it, uh, yours was much more even keeled and uh, well thought out. Yeah, I, so I, congratulations. And I thought it was important for anybody who doesn't see. I picked a. Hasn't seen it. I picked it all merit, like meaning this is the guys who have earned it so far this season. All star team. We know that's not what the all star team is about. A lot of go- some of those guys have pulled out already. I mean, I, I had David. I had uh, Usted as a replacement for Hamid because Hamid is definitely injured right now. But at least right. one of those other guys that I had in that team pulled out due to injury. I can't. Uh, I can't remember. Maybe Jovinko is injured at this point. Somebody else. But I mean, I had. I had Kamara, Jovinko up top. I had a diamond with Failhaber mm-hmm. sitting underneath. Ethan Finley, Fabian Castillo. I put in Darwin Sarin because I don't think enough people are talking about him. And, you know, defensive midfielders never get any love in an all-star game. And then I think I had Waston and Simon in the middle with um, Tierney on the left. And uh, who did I have it right back? Do you remember, Rob? Uh, Powell. Alvis Powell. There you go. Yep. 
Yep, yeah, is. you know, of course, I had to drop a comment, you know, pro DC United, uh, you know, would have been nice to see Perry Kitchen and uh, Bobby Boswell out there. But, uh, you know, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Perry Kitchen has had a fine year so far. You know, it's uh, it's a subjective thing, Rob. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when it comes to defensive midfield. Absolutely. What else you got? Anything else? Uh, that's it, man. That's it. Have a great day and uh, keep up the great work. Appreciate the call. There goes Rob. In Virginia, I appreciate the love. Uh, our friend Antti in uh, Finland, what's going on? Hey, I have an outsider opinion. Okay. Jürgen Klinsmann needs to be fi- fired now. Why now? Because now is the perfect time to do it. It's uh, The qualification for the next World Cup hasn't happened yet. Uh, you need the clean slate for, for the... Uh, the the one-time playoff team. Uh, you need a guy who can um, see that match as a as the the last match of soccer in the world. You know, you yeah. gotta take you gotta stop looking into the future, and you gotta get a guy who can look at this now. This is like do or die match. Uh, this is the last match yeah. of football ever to be played. So you, you, you're, you have you're, to win it. your concern is, of course, what we've seen with Klinsman and the pattern is that he is he was he is more than willing to mortgage the present for some nebulous notion of a better future. He keeps switching the hats between he has the uh, head coach hat on when he's winning and when he's losing he has the technical director uh, hat on and he keeps uh, circumventing the blame or, or and and no, he's not taking responsibility at all any times because he keeps on switching these hats on mm-hmm. he he's not uh, he it just doesn't make sense you need the American super, soccer watching the population needs to demand better you gotta you gotta change apparently, it now. apparently or, i'm uh, apparently i'm the uh I, I mean whatever i mean i'm not calling for him to be fired right now Auntie. i think that that's uh that's a real tough thing to do with that playoff coming up and, and trying to 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 bring somebody in have them institute their own ideas or try to work within the structure that Klinsman has and everything is so connected now, and they they have gone so deep down this rabbit hole with him, uh, Anthony. That I don't. It, it's it's. I mean, I I see what you're saying. I don't think it's that drastic right now, but but you know, there's there's certainly room for the argument. A lot of people are backing him to the hilt, and that I find that strange. Fire asking him to be yeah, fired right now is 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 even is is to me more of a rational, logical path of thought than. He's building us up to 2018. That's the only thing that matters. As if these, the Gold Cup doesn't matter and this playoff doesn't matter and whatever happens next summer doesn't matter. It's, it's strange. Yeah, I, I don't have to be responsible to anything so I can say they'll get out. <laughs> that's, and that's right. It. That's right. I appreciate the call, Antti. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brian. Good to, good to hear from Antti uh, calling from Finland. 646-832-3909. A couple of things. First, Eddie in Brooklyn on Twitter. Why does it need to be a pro-U.S. crowd? It's a playoff, not a U.S. home game. Both teams have the right to a pro crowd. Yeah, they do, Eddie. I'm not saying Mexico doesn't have the right to buy all the tickets they can. I'm saying if American fans are worried about it, they should buy the tickets. That's all I'm saying, Eddie. No one's saying that it should be an American home crowd by rights. We're saying that Americans need to show up and take control of the match. Take control of the stands if they want to have better home field advantage. Abby Wambach is out in the news saying that she wants to play at the, Olymp- uh, the sorry the 2016 Olympics in Rio next year. That's uh, a little bit of news to the soccer world considering that we all kind of had the feeling that Abby was going to be hanging them up after 2015. Go out a winner, Abby. Go out a champion. You reached that goal. You decided not to play NWSL this year. And now you're sort of rocking the boat again by saying, hey, I want to be on that team because we know star power, the influence. It's going to be real tough for U.S. soccer to keep Abby Wambach off that team. That's all I'm going to say. Landon, Salt Lake City, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. So uh, let's, I mean, let's have fun with this for a second. I know this is obviously not going to happen. Um, but so is out. He's looking for a new team. Uh, we got a we got a national coach who who tons of people want to go. Let's just say theoretically, theoretically, Sunil picks out Jurgen, 
Springs and Herrera. How would that go down? Very strangely, it would never happen in a million years, I don't think. I mean, uh, you know, the, the American, the knowledgeable American soccer press would love it. Uh, I don't know how, I think I remember him maybe speaking English a little bit. I don't think Herrera's English is the greatest. Uh, he would say some interesting things, even translated. Um, he would certainly make it, uh, man, he'd make it fun to watch and fun to cover, but you know, he, he, he's one of those guys, he runs really, really hot or he runs really, really cold. I don't, I think it would be interesting for shaking things up in U.S. soccer. I just don't know that it would be successful at it. Yeah. No, I just, I, I think it'd be just tons of fun just to watch, just to cover. I was just heard someone calling about, you know, calling for the firing of Jurgen Clemson for the millionth time. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, but hey, I want to call in. I know I'm a day late on this. Um, but talk a little bit about the, uh, the draw play thing that went down, um, uh, with Montreal. Um, first, you gotta start really feeling bad for Chicago. I mean, they're, they're taking this left and right. And it kind of speaks volumes to me. I'm, I'm kind of getting, I feel that MLS has a couple different opinions on this, where it's, hey, everyone's equal. We, you know, we have the, uh, the, the league owns everything. We have salary caps on here. Every team is, you know, quote unquote equal. And then we have these things where the big players won't go to the small teams. Um, what, what is that? What kind of message does that send to those teams? I mean, as an RSL fan, obviously that's just something that worries me. What should fans of those small teams be thinking? I mean, your plight is your. Pl- I mean, I hate to say it that way. I'm not. I'm not really this. This, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not really in this sort of political spectrum outside of soccer. But there's nothing. If you're Columbus, there's nothing you can do. And Chicago is not by any stretch of the imagination a small club, or should be a small club, or is a small town. It's your job to sell your city. Chicago has a lot to offer. It's not everybody else's fault that you're behind New York and and, and L.A. in terms of of reputation outside of the United States. I mean, I, I'm sort of stunned. That um, yeah. a lot a lot of Europeans don't really understand how big and and vibrant and cosmopolitan Chicago is. Uh, so that's your job. Sell your city, okay? Stop with this whole second city nonsense and sell your city. I I I think that you know there's just nothing you can be that, that can be done for the Colorados and the Columbuses outside of them spending more money. You're going to pay a premium to get a guy there. Know that. Be better in other areas. See what RSL did. With their team, Landon, and I mean, why wouldn't you model yourself on that? I don't feel I feel bad for for Chicago on one level, and that is that they are willing to spend some money and have been stymied twice now. But on another level, be smarter. Realize that your yeah. you know that that their your your targets have to be better. I know that you put his name on a list and you think that gives us the right to sign him with under, uh, under MLS rules and it's probably going to happen and we'll throw a bunch of money at him and la-di-da-di-da. Or if anybody signs him, it's going to be us. But ultimately, the players still have the power coming into the league, not within the league. It's a whole different story. But coming into the league, they still have the power. You think Steven Gerrard, you think there was like an equal discussion between L.A. and Colorado or Columbus or... Uh, give me no, a, no, no, of no, course not. He was always going to be an LA Galaxy player, and you know that's just the way that things are. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You can't change what these towns are. So, what are you going to do about it? You gonna, are we going to put the? Yeah, so gonna, I didn't. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I didn't follow the. I mean, I didn't follow the Drogba cases near as much as I did the Jones case, and you know, I feel I feel much worse for Chicago. With, Jermaine Jones deal because Jermaine's had no problem going to Chicago. Right. And, yes. And yes. MLS pulls out these backwater rules that are hidden in some you know back page of a notebook of someone you know scrawling in furiously. Um, but you know that I feel terrible for that. Was is the Drogba decision? Was that purely his decision, or does the league have any kind of a of a hand in that? No, purely his decision. What happened was okay. Here's what happened. I'll lay it out for you. Uh, the fire put his name on a discovery list. Because that's how the league works. They don't want bidding wars. So they say, okay, put his name on a list. Uh, and you have the, op- you have the right to sign him. So the fire did that. They initiated a conversation. I'm not sure it went very far. I'm not sure that there was a whole lot of interest on the part of Drogba. So the Montreal Impact are sitting around going, hey, we, we'd love to sign Didier Drogba. Well, we don't have the rights. Okay. Who cares? Let's go talk to him anyway and see if he's interested. We'll deal with that problem later. So they, they go and talk to him. Drogba says, yes, you, that, hey, I speak French and Montreal is a francophone city and this would be a lovely place to, to finish out my career or whatever. 
and uh, and he basically said, I want to come to Montreal. At that point, Chicago's done. The best they can do is get compensation for the discovery rights. And there's a debate to be had on mm-hmm. whether or not they should even get those get that compensation. Now, in the end, it allowed them to sign Gilberto, who does help them on some level. Is sort of you know he's not Drogba by any stretch of the imagination, but he does help them. He can score some goals. They don't take the salary cap hit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, on one level, it's operating. It's operating under the strict salary uh, rules, the non-competitive rules that MLS puts in place to to prevent these bidding wars. On the other hand, you know, Montreal can step in whenever they want as long as they work out a deal with Chicago. I don't think it's a matter yeah, of. I don't think it's a matter of who paid paid him more, though. That's that's the thing, Landon. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a matter of who was going to pay him more money. I bet you Chicago's offer was just as good as Montreal's, if not better. Yeah. So then, so why do we even have these discovery rules? Then I mean, it's it's essentially the equivalent of yelling dibs on a player. I mean, all you yeah, have to do is write his name down on, on a list first, and you know you supposedly get him. But if the player doesn't want to play in your team, it's it's really not worth anything. Right. So why do we even have these these discovery rules in the first place? To prevent betting wars. To make it to make it more yeah. di- okay. So so the the reason that the discovery claim exists is so that so that Montreal can't step in and just keep upping their offer to Didier Drogba to ki- to get him over the Chicago Fire. So basically, what they're di- and the league is approving all the contracts and reviewing all this stuff anyway. So basically, what they're saying is you are going to be giving something up if you sign Didier Drogba. So. It's going to prevent those teams from just outbidding one another. And again, you have the league in the middle making sure that this isn't going to become uh, a bidding war of, of any real note. We're not going to see one team off from six, one team off from seven, one team off from eight. It's not going to go back and forth like that. It's, it's essentially going to come down to here's the contract that Didier Drogba gets to come to MLS. Now, who's going to end up with him? Well, he wants to play in Montreal, not Chicago. Okay, Montreal, you now owe Chicago 100000 500000 300000 whatever allocation money is deemed, uh, is deemed appropriate. So that there's, mm-hmm. there's, so there's, so, essentially, there's no, in, there's no incentive to go in on a bidding war because you are going to have to give something up in order to get the rights to that player. Okay. And so then, so then tell me this. What is, I mean, to me, that feels like it only really it helps the league and doesn't really, I mean, it feels like it only hurts the player because it's still going to one team no matter what, but his salary is, you know, basically at a set, at a set point is not going up up at all, not having a bidding war. So tell me, what is well, the no, advantage but, of having a bidding war? But, but Landon, I mean, if people have the money and they want to spend it, what's the problem? But, but Landon, the, the, it, th- that player can go outside of MLS and, and find some other offer and drive and drive MLS up. I mean, you have to think of MLS. I mean, the the problem yeah, is, and this sure, is what this is what bothers a lot of people. And I get it. I mean, I I think it's on. It, it feels wrong as a sports fan that this is the case. But when Didier Drogba is talking about coming to MLS, he's not really he's not really negotiating with the impact. I mean, he is, but essentially you have to yeah, think no, you have I... to think of the impact as part of one team. It's one team. All of MLS is one team. And then if he wants oh, to go, if he wants to go and get an offer from a Chinese team where he's already been there, or a a team in the Middle East, and say, oh well, they offered me five and a half million dollars, and he brings that back to the impact. The impact are going to go to MLS and say, this is what his offer is, and and everybody's going to know. I mean, the fire are going to know what's on on the table there, because they're the ones that are going to benefit from him signing because because Montreal, well, one of the teams is going to benefit from him signing because Montreal is going to have to ship something to them. I mean, it's convoluted, it's complicated, it's nonsensical for a lot of fans, but it's the way the league works. They don't want, yeah. they don't want the, they don't want the price on a player to be driven up by two of their teams competing against one another. That's all. There can be a bidding war between MLS and some other team in another part of the world, but there's sure as hell not going to be a bidding war between the Chicago Fire and the Montreal Impact. Not in a traditional yeah, sense. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, that's it for me, Jason. Thanks, Don. All right. I'm not sure that I can I, I explain that well at all. I'm not sure that I got anywhere close to a to an actual cogent thought there because it's MLS and it just it makes your head. Robert, I mean, sorry, Roberto in Connecticut. What's going on? You know something, Jason? The Mexican FA really have a no tolerance uh, rule because you look at the fact six managers in the last five years or something like that. Yeah. And well, can you believe that? And you know what it was it, it, Tom uh, Tom pointing out what happened with Vucetich is I think that's the kicker, right? That they gave him one game. 
when, when everything was falling apart, when Mexico was as low as they've been at any point over the last, I don't know, two decades, when it was open to question whether or not they would qualify for a World Cup, they went and burned through one of the best managers in their country in one game and then handed the keys over to Miguel Herrera. Uh, why did you do that? I, I mean, I, I don't remember all of the politics behind Vucetich coming in and then Vucetich leaving, but that's ridiculous, Roberto. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's incredible. This, this is something that not even the United States FA would do. Well, that, that's the thing. I think what's interesting uh, is that the U.S. is more. These two teams are. These two two federations are on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? The United States yeah. stays committed to one guy, maybe sometimes too long. I mean, you could argue that Arena had four years too long. Although, you know, the the 2006 World Cup is up to a little bit of interpretation. But you can clearly say. I mean, you can certainly say based on results that was a, that was four years too long for Bruce Arena. They cut ties with Bob Bradley. You know, a year into his second cycle and said okay we're not making that mistake again and now you could argue and i'm not i mean you know again room for both thoughts here you could certainly argue that going into a second cycle with jürgen klinsman is the wrong move but three coaches in 16 years whereas mexico has burned through 14 oh 14 oh wow i didn't know that since since 1999 since 1999 that's incredible but let me ask you this say Jurgen Klinsmann is in the situation that Mexico were for the 2014 World Cup. Would they have fired him? Um, hmm. I kind of think no, because again, I think this is the mentality. The mentality is let's stick with what we got. Continuity is more important than flushing out a guy who's not performing well. I think they're they're just two different mindsets. Mexico goes. This is getting out of control, or we're in trouble. Fire that guy, fire that guy, fire that guy, without even necessarily considering who his replacement is. Whereas U.S. soccer goes, okay, we're in trouble. Uh, Clinton's not doing a great job, but who could we possibly get? You know, who's going to replace him? I don't know who we could get. Well, I guess we'll just stick with Clinton then. I think that's where they go. Yeah, I don't think there's another nation in this world that has such a. Uh, I guess you could say no tolerance policy in the way that Mexico has, don't you think? Uh, there's there's some there's some countries that burn through coaches pretty quickly. Uh, I don't have one off the top of my head. I mean, Argentina's burned Ooh, Brazil. some. Brazil has burned through a bunch of coaches. I mean, they they <laughs> they, they, they they bring coaches back. I mean, that's that's yeah. Brazil is probably the the a number one example of this. I, I just don't understand. This is something I don't understand. Jorge Sampioli to replace Herrera as the coach. That, that, that sounds ridiculous. Because I don't think Chile would let him go back quickly. No, probably not. I mean, it depends on what he wants to do, right? I mean, if you, yeah, if you, if you, oh, well, we won, we won the Copa America. You know, we've done, we, I, I've, I've done this thing. I'm, I'm completed this task. Now it's time to go do something else. I mean, that's how coaches think sometimes. I think, I, I think his, I think his uh, mindset is now is to win the uh, Confederations Cup now. Okay. I mean, if that's his target, that's fine. A lot of coaches might not prioritize that. There are certainly clo- there's certainly yeah. coaches in this, co- in this world who, who would, who would look at the Confederations Cup and go, eh, I'm okay not winning that or I'm okay not coaching in that. Yeah, it's all, everyone has a different mindset in the, um, it's all up to the FA now to see what they, um, want the coaches to do. You know, I'm trying to find a list of Mexico national team coaches. I just can't find a current list. If anybody has that, put that on Twitter for me. At Davis JSN, at Soccer Morning. I just want to see the list, because I can't find the list. We've had, again. A list of managers? Yeah, a list of, a list of managers. Okay. Oh, you got anything else, Roberto? No, no. That's good. Have a good day, Jason. I appreciate it. There goes Roberto in Connecticut. Uh, 646-832-3909. This is the last call. If you uh, if the, the call, phone calls dry up, we'll go ahead and wrap up this show. A quick hitter with, uh, with Tom Marshall there, but some good insight into what's going on with Mexico now that they've fired Miguel Herrera. Again, this, this is different. This isn't, we're panicking, we're not playing well, let's fire our coach without an idea of who replaces him. This is... 
Miguel Herrera did something that put the Mexican Federation in a difficult place. They essentially had to fire him. Now, there are a lot of people out there, people more knowledgeable of the politics of Mexican football who will say or who have been saying that this smacks of a battle between television networks. And it may be partly about that, but he certainly did enough uh, to bring some censure down on him, to bring questions of whether or not he should continue. This is a he put the, he put himself and the federation in a de- in a very difficult position. You can't have your national team manager punching people in an airport. You just can't. Uh, Trevor's got something. Yeah, that's I saw that one. That only goes up to Chepo de la Torre in 2010. But I've got uh, I got a list here from Wikipedia. Let's just go. Let's just start again in 1999 when Bruce Arena took over from Steve Sampson for the United States of America. La Puente from 97 to, 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 to 2000. Hugo Sanchez. Uh, Enrique Meza. Javier Aguirre. Ricardo Valvo, uh, Val, uh, Lavope. Hugo Sanchez again. Jesus Ramirez as a caretaker in 2008. Sven Goran Eriksson. Remember that? Javier Aguirre again. Enrique Meza again. Uh, Efren Flores in 2010. Chepo de la Torre from 2010 to 2013. Uh, Fernando, Luis Fernando Tena. For uh, a very short period of time in 2013 during that panic period. Victor Manuel Vucetich for that uh, one game in 2013. And then Miguel Herrera. That's your list. That's I mean, it's not 14 different people because they brought back Aguirre a couple of different times. Volpe had the job. Wait, did he? I, I'm not reading this right. Uh, certainly, um, certainly Enrique Meza had the job a couple of different times. So Aguirre, Meza... Hugo Sanchez twice. I mean, I think it's a hot potato. It's what the it's what the Brits would call a poison chalice, right? It's it's the job is, and and, and maybe it should be that way. I, I don't know. I, sometimes I wrestle with this. Should the should a national team job be low pressure or high pressure? Does whether or not that job is high pressure or low pressure determine? what your goals are as a national team or have anything to say about your goals as a national team. If Mexico has a high-pressure national team co- uh, head coaching job and um, and they fire people at the drop of a hat for failing, or in this case it's different, but for failing, does that mean that they have much loftier goals than the United States, who has been competitive with them in CONCACAF and actually has bested them in CONCACAF over the last decade and a half because the United States has a low-pressure job? Because let's be honest about this, Jurgen Klinsmann has a very low-pressure job. As national team managers go, he can take it easy. There's not a lot coming down on him. John Tannenwald from Philly.com called in to the best soccer show that we recorded on Monday night, the top of the show, and he was talking about the question that he asked Jurgen Klinsmann about whether or not there was more pressure than before, whether he's ever been in, under this much pressure as the national team head coach. And Klinsman has consistently said uh, the pressure is rising, but it's not like Europe because everything has got to be compared to Europe. Sure, the players need to be in Europe. Our press needs to be more like Europe. But when asked if he was under more pressure than ever before, he said, that's for you to decide. So, I mean, the, the man doesn't feel it. I, I can't believe that he does. He's got the full backing of his federation. Is that good or bad? All right, let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning, pointing to a tweet here. Jonathan... LAFC has been quiet lately. This could be just the punch in the neck they could use. <laughs> that's a, that is a saying. I think that's a saying, Jonathan. Miguel. And that's, you know, the re- <laughs> I watched the videos, which again are not a smoking gun. The, the bad vertical camera phone. Vi- people, turn your, turn your camera. Go horizontal. Please. Landscape. Not, not, no. Landscape. But I watched the video. And Herrera is a legitimate foot shorter than the guy he apparently punched. Now, he's not a big guy. He's going to be shorter than a lot of people. But he's a legitimate foot shorter shorter than this television commentator. And in order to punch him, he must have jumped like Little Mac in Punch-Out. That's what it was like. All right, that's it. We're done. Thank you very much for listening. Please go to backheel.com slash store to buy yourself. A Soccer Morning mug and Soccer Morning t-shirts in a range of colors. How many colors do we have, Trevor? A thousand? 
No. How many colors? Like four, five, six, twelve, six and counting. We are adding colors all the time. Soccer morning t-shirts, which I think are stylish. Apparently some people on Twitter would disagree with that. I don't really care. They're awesome. Go get one. Thank you very much to Tom uh, Tom Marshall for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow, Thursday edition. Go MLS All-Stars or something. See you then. Did my invitations disappear?